Tina Fey renaissance. The Tina Fey-naissance. Yeah. The Tina-sance. Yeah, so Tina Fey, who I feel like over the past few years has come under scrutiny a bit. Like, people are like, oh my god, Tina Fey's racist. They'll, like, go back and look at her old work, like, 30 Rock or Mean Girls or something and be like, Tina Fey's racist, Tina Fey's this, Tina Fey's that, Tina Fey hates women. So she hasn't been, like, a particularly beloved cultural figure in the past few years. And then she went on Las Culturistas, which is Hannah's fave podcast. I'm actually kind of shocked at, like, the virality of the clip but it's basically she just went on and like kind of poked fun at emerald fennel in a segment they do called i don't think so honey and she basically was like saying it's dangerous to speak your opinions on things in the industry but then while she did it like poked fun at emerald fennel yeah she had a quote where she says authenticity is dangerous and expensive yeah and she's basically just talking about how people being real will not be well liked by history or at least in like immediate history really funnel funny really fennel really funny she dunked on emerald fennel and then girls on twitter were like she's a misogynist this woman hates women because this woman said another woman's art was bad and it's like well her art is bad and i said last episode that i would not talk about taylor swift again oh Um, my god but someone pointed out that tina fey doesn't support other women thing started with when she and amy poehler made a joke about taylor swift dating lots of men at like the golden globes or something and then taylor swift later said like there's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women this was like when she was not at her most powerful and was sort of her entire thing was just that she was like dating around and also that she was still quite powerful still at the time yeah well but it was like like a lot while i just think that the greatest trick to pull is being like you don't support me because I'm a woman to another woman. I just think it's the best way to make yourself completely immune to criticism. But I think that definitely set up the narrative about Tina Fey. Her work has always been kind of like mean and biting. I'm sure there are things she's done that's like actually straight up offensive, but there's a lot of stuff that is- A lot of the time I think it's misunderstood. It is misunderstood. And I don't know, people just don't know how to deal with something that's mean, but observational. Not to be this person. Not to be that guy. Comedy can be mean. Um, Yeah, I'm also like, if feminism is about letting women make bad art and congratulating them for it, then I don't want it. Like, well, it's sometimes also, uh, the girlies make bad art and yes. we should talk about it. All of the kind of female figures in comedy of recent years that were like beloved in the 2010s have all been kind of cast aside and then are like, some of them are being reclaimed. Some of them, I don't know, people really hate Mindy Kaling for... That that Wanda show. Mm. Guys, if I make bad art, I would want people to tell me. And I wouldn't want people to infantilize me and prop it up just because I'm a woman. Sorry. And also, Tina Fey, the new Mean Girls musical is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Tina Fey, Miss Tina Fey, you just made some bad art. She'll probably be the first to say it. Yeah, probably. So, we're on the second episode of our fourth season. Uh, Oh my god, how the time has flown. Yeah, very excited about this one. This is kind of the first one that had come to mind when we were brainstorming and I couldn't figure out why like I hadn't actually looked into it yet I couldn't figure out why it felt so prevalent and then doing the research I was like oh my god this is so fascinating and kind of perfect so let's get into it I'm Maya I'm Hannah and this is Rehash a podcast about the social media phenomena that strike a nerve in our culture only to be quickly forgotten but we think are due for a revisiting this season is a loose no pun intended history of sex on the internet the symbiosis of our two most basic instincts, innovation and getting off. 
If you like our show and you want to hear more from us, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rehash podcast, where we have bonus episodes, weekly minisodes, and early access to our regular programming. And if you don't want to join the Patreon because lame, (laughs) feel free to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that helps us out a lot. And it's not actually lame if you don't want to support us. No, it is. Don't be a loser. You can't sit with us. Oh. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. We're going to start being as mean-spirited as possible. Actually, I'm probably on the way there already as it is, but... I think when I think I'm being mean-spirited, I'm not. The Tina Feyessance <laughs> means being mean-spirited in service of greater cultural interests. Last episode, we ended on the question, did video kill the porn star? And I'm here to say, well, no. It just made her a brunette. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to be dissecting Sasha Gray. Not actually, but I'm sure that has probably happened to her before (laughs) in some capacity. The woman who, at the tender age of 18, may have changed the porn game for good. How we participate in it, how we consume it, and most controversially, how we perceive it. Over the years, Sasha has gained the title of Hollywood's first porn star of the internet era, which isn't, I mean, accurate. There were women in internet porn before Sasha Gray, but I think it's a good encapsulation of her like overarching legacy. Sasha was born Marina Ann Hansis in 1988. I think that's how you pronounce it. She grew up with divorced parents in a working class neighborhood of Sacramento and has often cited that she started watching porn at a very young age. She graduated from high school in 2005 and began a relationship with a guy eight years her senior, who then introduced her to BDSM, which she very much took a liking to. And this is where her interest in porn became more serious, and she decided that it was time to pursue it as a career. Since her first day on a porn shoot in 2006, Sasha's career has been widely documented. Like, the first ever article to be written about her is this profile in LA Magazine, which was written before her first film even came out. The article's a pretty interesting read. It characterizes Sasha's off-camera presence as kind of, like, teenager-y, and it describes her as having, like, a flat affect, like, typical of teenagers, kind of probably similar to the affects we have, in a way. Yeah, and an unsure gait. And at this point, you know, Sasha had recently turned 18, and so classically she fell into, like, the barely legal typecast for porn. So to give you a picture, she's, like, really slim, and she has, like, long brown hair and a very pale skin. And she also has much smaller boobs than a lot of major porn stars. To me, the most interesting thing about her look is that she has this kind of like trickster face. Like her eyebrows are really arched Mm. and she has this kind of permanently like crooked smile. I think she's really unique looking. But yeah, so the article describes her as kind of teenagery and awkward. The author even says that he can't imagine her telling a joke. Like he's like, she's just very strange and awkward. But then he gives her kind of like the Mr. Hyde treatment, and he describes her on-camera presence as a mix between Don Upshaw and Andrew Dice Clay, just like opera singer and male comedian. (laughs) Really confusing combo if you know the references. But basically, he's saying that she has this sort of like self-assured crassness on camera that you wouldn't expect from her. 
He says, quote, if I had doubts at the convention center, because he's he's profiling these girls, I think it's like an open call kind of thing at a convention center. If I had doubts at the convention center of who Sasha Gray was, they were gone now. So the film they were shooting was by this director, John Stagliano, who's famous for inventing gonzo porn, which we talked about last episode. So like Hannah said, a lot of the time it's kind of like POV type porn, like the male performers kind of taking the lead or kind of becoming the perspective. It's also important to note that it's unscripted porn and that it's focused solely on sex rather than narrative, like interspersed with sex um, that we were talking about with Porno Chic of the 70s. Right. So essentially, it's kind of the majority of internet porn today. The film is called Fashionista's Safado, The Challenge. (laughs) It's like a sequel to Fashionista's, the first movie. And it stars this super famous porn star named Rocco Sofredi, or the Italian stallion who was in his 50s at this point. Okay. Sasha's first ever scene that she filmed for the movie is a 12-person orgy. And essentially, the biggest thing that came out of that LA Mag article was its reporting that Sasha had unprompted asked Sofredi to punch her in the stomach. He didn't, which... Cool. (laughs) But this became legend in the industry, and it would come to define her career from that point on. Sasha, after this, absolutely blew up. A couple months later, she had already filmed 33 porn films. And although her career only lasted three years, from 2007 to 2010... Oh, wow. Yeah, she starred in over 200 films, and she won 13 adult film awards and became one of the highest-paid stars of her time. Hannah. Yes? I showed you, like, a couple Sasha Grace scenes. (laughs) Do you want to describe them a bit? For the listeners, I showed Hannah some of the tamer material that Sasha Gray's made. But like what's what's the vibe you're getting from her in these scenes? Like what's she what's she giving? She definitely seems like mischievous or something. Kind of has a look on her face is like, oh yeah, ha ha ha. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But I feel like the setup seems like they'd be things where the girl would seem very passive or something or really kind of like vacant and she didn't seem vacant she seemed to have like a personality that was like emanating through the circumstances the circumstances <laughs> yeah she's definitely serving face card like she's got a face that's a face and it, it's it's like expressive it's doing a lot well you can see why somebody uh like her would stand out it's not like these are like, crazily exceptional videos or suppose but you can see why she would stick out she has like a personality that kind of comes through yeah yeah she kind of has like a star quality almost (laughs) in a funny way sasha's work in porn has generally trended towards bdsm something she's done like she's vomiting in her own eyes how do you vomit in your own eyes do you i don't know i couldn't find i was looking for that one and i couldn't find it i think Upside down, yeah, probably. Whoa. Yeah. Physics-wise, that's crazy. Like, maybe being kind of like she was being gagged. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Kind of hard to find some of this. She's been drowned and electrocuted. She's done, like, a ton of anal and gaping asshole scenes. Like, yes, a lot. She's been gangbanged. She gets hit a lot. And in every scene, she's always begging for more. Almost, like, taunting her co-stars to keep going and Mm -hmm. go harder. She actually famously said that the only things she won't do are children and animals. And good for her. Yeah, (laughs) I would hope so. Good for her. Um, She also says that she doesn't like when her co-stars kiss her because she isn't there to make love. She's there to fuck. She said, quote, I fiend for intense sex, for sicker ways to get off psychologically and physically. There is something really late 2000s about that to me. Yeah, she's a bad girl. She's sort of like not like other girls of porn. And that is a very apt description, Hannah. 
So despite the more fringe part of the industry that she occupied, Sasha was a huge deal in mainstream culture in the late and early 2000s. Uh, like I knew guys back in high school who had her as their cover photo on Facebook, some even in middle school, a bunch of them owned this t-shirt with her on it that said, God bless Sasha Gray. Like that's been burned into my mind. Like so many of these guys had this t-shirt and I feel like you know, ordinarily, people aren't very open about the porn they watch or the porn stars they follow. So I'm kind of curious, do you have any guesses as to why she had this kind of crossover success as kind of like a kinky porn star to ending up on like middle school, high school boys t-shirts? Like, why were people so willing to publicly embrace her? I feel like if she's somehow managed to get beyond the image of just being a porn star and being like a cool person like if she has reached some kind of icon status and i'll be honest i didn't know who she was we always joke about there being a one year difference between us maybe i don't know it's a generational (laughs) thing but if she does have this kind of cool cachet i can see that being a thing and also this was the time of american apparel and like a certain kind of alternative sleaze oh my god I wasn't even thinking of indie sleaze. Well, it's it's the perfect word. (laughs) But it's true. It's like there's an 80s kind of casting couch aesthetic that seeps itself into like fashion photography. I think porn was really influential of the aesthetics of the time. So like, I think it was a weird window. And also this would never happen today, I don't think, in the same way. So it's it's interesting. But there was a window where... I can see it making sense. Yeah, that's such a genius point. I think she has such an American apparel look. I I swear to you, she probably modeled for them at some point. Probably. She kind of like has the look. And American (laughs) apparel ads often look like the beginning of these types of videos. You show me these videos in these all white kind of spaces. Yeah. And the way it's shot, there's so little definition in the like actual cinematography that feels like an American apparel ad. She is a... A photographer she's had a photography book series and oh. like her work is kind of similar to like um cobra snake wolfgang tillman it's oh. kind of like the street photography kind of alt street photography vibe or yeah this kind of vicey energy and that's it, yeah her. vice too like it's it is a time where if everyone's like i did ketamine for three days straight and here's my experience so i can see her being able to enter way into a culture like that that's such a good point i i actually hadn't even thought about that and that's that's a really good way to put it it was just the perfect time for someone in porn to cross over because of the sleaze sleaze culture she actually comes up on the indie sleaze instagram a lot on her photo she also was on tumblr a lot of the time like i saw her on tumblr a lot right she has this i mean again face card she just has this face that you're just kind of like drawn to she also just she did a lot of like mainstream media touring so you know during her porn career she was seen a lot on tv she went on the tyra Banks show in 2007 um for this episode about teens and sex work whoa okay I probably watched that because I've seen most of the entire show. I watched it at the time, yeah. Really? Okay. Um, the episode takes a very judgmental look. But approach of course, to it's the Tyra show. Tyra Banks <laughs> hates sex workers. Like that woman fucking hates sex workers. It is the strangest phenomenon. Like she, she despises them. It's it's very apparent in America's Next Top Model. I think she fired someone had won, and then it turned out that she had a history of working as an escort, and they Tyra took was away like, "That's her. disgusting." Yeah. yeah. And then another woman came on and said she had formerly been a stripper or something, and Tyra was like, "Why would you ever do that?" It's so, and it's like you're a model. It's like you run a show where you eighteen year old like poor single moms come on, and then you like make them pose nude and send them home if they won't. Well, it's like if we're talking about selling our bodies, like you were a model. <laughs> like, but I, I don't think know. that's probably why. I know she's like. Like we need to make the hard line exactly yeah. um but yeah she did go on that 
She became a face for PETA. Uh, she appeared in Smashing Pumpkins and Eminem music videos. Wait, like Pam. Like Miss Pam. I, we never touched on on the episode, but Pamela Anderson, big face for PETA. Well, Sasha Gray's a really interesting person to put in conversation with Pam, which we'll get to. PETA um, is a bad organization, also. Yeah, they, I, I think most people know that. <laughs> well, I just thought I would make it clear. She was on Entourage, and most famously, she was in the Steven Soderbergh film, The Girlfriend Experience. Oh. Yeah. She also had a pretty successful band called Telecine, and she toured as a DJ, both of which I think she still does, but she's kind of in the music scene. Like, anytime you see her on Indie Sleeves, she's usually DJing. Was she LA-based? Because this is, like, the most, like, of that era LA story I think she was I've LA. ever heard. I think she was LA. So she was kind of diversifying her career a bit and kind of being seen in mainstream channels. But beyond, like, the obvious mainstream appearances... I think there's something to be said about the way that Sasha existed in both porn and popular culture that can also be attributed to her crossover. Sasha is often referred to as an intellectual porn star because she kind of explains her sexual proclivities and like her career choice in very philosophical terms, which is something you seldom see in the industry, especially back in 2007. You know, she was already reading a lot of literature and philosophy before she even joined the industry, like as a teenager. She's a self-proclaimed existentialist. She's a huge fan of Zizek and Sartre. And she applies a lot of this philosophy that she reads to the job. Like she said in this 2006 interview when she was only 18, that she considered porn a form of performance art. And she was like, quote, when I am in the scene, I am performing for an audience, satisfying not the male talent, but people at home watching. I mean, that's true. I know. It's just amazing for an 18-year-old to be thinking yeah, like that. Yeah, that like, is actually insane. It's really crazy. <laughs> so uh, she also had this photography book from 2011, which has a lot of like nudes in it and that kind of, yeah, got Wolfgang Tillman kind of photography, and which she premises with the concept of the gaze. The opening line of the book is, as individuals, we are what others perceive us to be. They objectify us, and in turn, we objectify ourselves. What's important is how we define ourselves, allowing us to be free. So, like, on top of being a musician and a DJ and a photographer outside of porn, she was kind of changing public perceptions of porn by framing it as an art form. Framing it as something that can be analyzed with intellectual rigor. Um, Which is very 70s of her. And so, 70s of her. She has this quote where she says, verbal stimulation is very important to my work. I can't get off unless there's shit talking involved. I don't want to hear sexy moans. I want to hear degradation, grunting, hyperventilating. It stimulates your psyche as well as your libido, allowing for a more intense scene. And I just kind of want to ask, like, how much of this do you think is true? Like, do you think her performance is genuinely stimulating the psyche of the audience? No. And I don't think that means that she doesn't have some kind of intentions in mind. I don't think it takes away from her work as a performer or her philosophies. But I think if we're just being completely honest about why and how people consume this work, it is not with these things in mind. It is not like philosophically driven. I think if that's the meaning she gets from it, again, like, that's great. She seems like a very intelligent girl who is doing this because she wants to do it. But I don't know, unless they're like some dickhead philosophy, bro. I don't really think that the masses are getting that from it. No. Yeah, I can't imagine a middle school boy being like, oh my no. god, I'm, this is making me think so much about why I exist. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and if I should at all. Um, maybe right after, in post-nut clarity, maybe some guys were like, why do I exist? But I don't know if Sasha made them feel that Perhaps. way. And you know what? Men have been trying to intellectualize and make philosophy out of sex. It's like, whatever, she can do it too. Yeah, let her philosophize. Yeah, a lot of it is just, I wonder how much 
of this is kind of reabsorbed back into like the commodity of the porn star. Like Sasha Gray's brand is being the intellectual porn star. But like, yeah, it just makes you wonder if the actual intellectuality of it is working in the way that she is trying to make it work. And in any case, though, does it even matter if it does work? Because her brand is so strong. Going back to conversation we were having about Pamela Anderson, like I do think that the purpose that she serves probably for her fans is that it gives them a way to consume porn and feel like they're intellectuals, feel like there is something that makes them distinct from like the men that they don't want to feel like or just from mass culture. So she, in a lot of ways, is the opposite of the blonde, booby, stereotypical maybe porn star that we're thinking of. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're having those thoughts while they consume her porn. I think it just allows them to show themselves and others that they are capable of that kind of thinking. I was going to ask you that exact thing, because I think she's the kind of antithesis of the Pamela Anderson. Like, she's brunette, she's flat-chested, and she's considered an intellectual. Like, if you were to look at that meme of the nerdy brunette girl slowly evolving into, like, the booby bimbo, (laughs) blonde bimbo, she's on the nerdy brunette girl side of the meme spectrum. Like, if you're going to put her there. And so it's like, you know, sex symbols are symbols are, are like larger cultural tastes and perceptions of women, right? And so it was okay to like Sasha because she was more than just a porn star. Like she's a sensibility. Yeah. And there, so there was like an intellectual justification for her existence. There's an intellectual justification for consuming her. Well, it reminds me of Juno where there's like a line about how whatever the football guy should like Juno's friend who's like the pretty cheerleader girl but instead those guys like weird goth librarian chicks and whatever and it's like just this I think there was I don't know Juno's from like what 2008 like I think there's a period of time where that kind of nerdy freak was like a thing that yeah talked about yeah totally and I think that's what made me remember her so much from the time because I remember seeing all these guys kind of talking about her and hearing about them talk about her and looking her up and being like, oh, surprised because I just wasn't used to men kind of being into girls like that, I guess. But then, yeah, it was such a symbol of the time, I think, and has kind of been that way a lot of the time since. Well, I think that there's always going to be a type of person that defines himself on not liking the thing that is popular with the masses. As much as we've talked about how preferences and female body types have swayed towards like a Kim Kardashian Jenner thing that's still so distinctly different from what Sasha Gray represents and so I think that those guys can still feel different for liking girls who look like Sasha Gray I suppose yeah it's like alt porn Um, (laughs) this does though raise like a lot of questions for me about the whole cool girl concept you Mm. know that was originated by Gone Girl like Sasha was almost the porn equivalent of kind of being down for whatever. Yeah. Like, she did what men liked, but even better, she liked it. And she justified it with intellectual backing, basically. What do you think of that? Like, do you think... Like, you did kind of say that she is kind of the not-like-other-girls of porn, in a way. I cannot tell you what is going on in Sasha Gray's head, and I especially can't tell you what was going on in her head back in, like, 2007 or eight or whatever. Not in a way that she's putting other people down, just in a way that she's... She's just different. But she's not saying that. I just want to make that clear. Like, Sasha Gray is not saying that other women are saying that she's different. She just, she is literally different. She's 
And she's Jack reading porn star. And I think that's what, like, her being different is why a lot of men like her, even if she's not putting other women down. Yeah. I mean, she's fascinating enough that we made this episode about her. Like, she is, she's an interesting figure. Um, but that has its own implications. Mm-hmm. So Sasha said before that the only thing she really finds vulgar is the glorification of violence. She said, I find it vulgar that people are so fascinated by natural disasters and we allow footage of young people that are looting because they have no choice because of natural disaster. Footage of young people getting shot, that bothers me. It hits a nerve. By showing this footage, in my mind, it's pornographic. Which really raises the question, you know, of like why we police and censor sex, but then glorify and fetishize violence, right? I think Sasha's definitely commenting on something by blending those two things together. So... Sasha has described herself as a fuck junkie, which she says is a term that pulverizes the idea of making love. Her work has been described as David Lynch-inspired porn. Her kind of like films that she's been a part of, there's lots of bizarro filmmaking techniques and makeup and like weird sexual scenarios. And she talks a lot about, you know, like battle wounds that she gets from her work and how she thinks that they're sexy, like bruises. She also said in an interview, I love being scared, feeling unsafe, but subconsciously I know I am in control. And so I feel like we can't really talk about Sasha Gray without having like a preliminary conversation about like kink, because it's something she's really a proponent of. Researching this just kind of made me think a lot about that age old question of whether subjugation in the bedroom is like inherently misogynistic. Do kinks just reflect wider social issues and kind of contain them within a safe space? And I just wanted to get your take on this or just have have a chat about it. I think people are entitled to do the things that they want to do within like a safe mediated environment in their homes. I don't think it's really anybody's place to judge what people do in their relationships with each other. I think sometimes when like certain imagery seeps out, especially just in regards to women into just kind of cultural aesthetics, sometimes as much as we want to think about them being reclaimed in a feminist way and that kind of imagery being like, well, she's in control and she wants it. Not everybody is thinking about it that way and not everybody's opinions need to be accounted for. I don't know. It's always a complicated thing where you're like, when do I draw the line? that These are instances where I feel like women are being subjugated in a way that's not driven by this intellectual argument of like, she's in control. It's just men wanting to show women being subjugated. And then when is it being done with this subversive intention in mind? It's always funny to me when men are like, my kink is doming women in bed and you're like wow that's crazy yeah but then when women want to be submissive in bed i think it's just a really fascinating thing i think it's really fascinating when women have rape kinks for example or trying to get away like that kind of thing i think it one signifies like a massive trust in their partner which i think is nice and then also maybe even if it's never happened to them like i do think it is a kind of way of exploring and controlling things that we can't control outside of the bedroom kind of like in the way that you watch horror movies right like Mm -hmm. i think i think it kind of plays into that psychology which is why i think kinks are so fascinating yeah and i think that women have the right to want to like explore all of these things and do it under their kind of control it just i worry about men hearing the terminology and the philosophies behind it and using it as a way to twist it in their favor well yes (laughs) (laughs) which is where it's like yes if women have these kind of fantasies or these things they want to work through i think go ahead but it's like when men learn therapy speak like that is a dangerous weapon in your hand sir jonah hill was not listening Mm, he was not listening 
if we're going along this idea that like kink in the bedroom is kind of a means of controlling these possibilities and containing them in a safe space and exploring them and whatnot, I wonder how this changes when it's moved to our screens, especially when it can be viewed within the privacy of your own home. What do you think about that? I would be curious to know if there are studies on like the psychological effect of watching it. I mean, I remember Ted Bundy like tried to blame his murderous instincts on consuming BDSM imagery, which is bullshit. And like if anybody is inclined that way, they're inclined that way. Well, it's like saying that Columbine is because they played video games. Yeah, it's like if you want to hurt someone, you want to hurt someone. But I mean, in that metaphor, I don't think that there should be video games where you're playing war. I I mean, war is not the same as kink. I love it because of playing war. <laughs> but I just mean, like, I think Grand Theft Auto is weird. I think it's weird that that exists. <laughs> that, that game is crazy. Um, Good music, though. Maybe more open conversations about it in a productive way where you're able to go, this is a kink that people practice with all of these rules because real BDSM people are really strict about rules. They care a lot about that kind of thing. They're kind of sex nerds. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's like having conversations like that maybe is the most productive way to do it. There's always the risk of somebody coming away from something with the wrong impression, but that doesn't mean that those things shouldn't exist. It just means we should give them the tools to understand what they're consuming. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, I personally don't really, couldn't really think of an easy answer to it. I was just trying to think about if the safety of the bedroom changes when it becomes for public consumption. And yeah, I couldn't say because, again, it sounds like the video game argument or like you you risk sounding like Andrea Dorgan, you know, freaking out about porn, saying porn is rape, you know. People who don't, who have an issue with porn have an issue with all kinds of porn. And I think that once you start drawing the lines of like what is or isn't acceptable for consumption, then you're really drawing a line of like what is or isn't acceptable to do at all, yeah. right? Because if you have an ethical issue with porn, then that's just on the basis of porn as a whole. Yeah. Obviously, there should still be rules about ages and like consent and all yeah, of that Yeah, like stuff. labor conditions. But beyond that, I don't know. I think having conversations about this stuff more openly is the best thing to create a culture that encourages like safer and better conditions for the stuff to be made in so you know the people participating in it are having an okay time yeah i just thought about this a lot researching but you kind of have to ask whether like sasha becoming mainstream may have led to a mainstreaming of the kind of kinky porn she's in or at least partially contributed to it so like you're saying with regards to kinky porn like there has been a lot of panic over the years about whether the internet made violent and degrading porn more prevalent. There's this whole harder and harder hypothesis, which relies on the convergence of two major things. One, porn becoming more violent and weird because of amateur sex tapes, like Pam and Tommy. Mm -hmm. So like professionally made porn, which actually costs money to make, had to compete with these DIY films. Like anyone could go make their own film. Mm -hmm. And then two, that free porn sites like Pornhub moved kink and fetish content away from the dark web and into the mainstream. And gonzo porn especially is cited as, quote, catering to a peculiarly masculine desire that operates often at the female performer's expense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these days, and I think if you've seen the movie Hot Girls Wanted, like you kind of get a sense of this, but Mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, choking, slobbering blowjobs, pretty hardcore anal, suffocation, insults and slapping, more frequently online, most often at the woman's expense in heterosexual cis porn. And this is a philosophical question, but 
Do you think like violence and kink in porn influences someone's sexual interests and proclivities in the same way that like maybe people are radicalized by the rabbit hole? So like someone doesn't have these interests that much, but then because of the algorithm, the more and more they click, the more it becomes extreme. Or do you think that they already kind of have those interests and then are just seeking that stuff out? Basically, do you think this harder and harder thesis like rings true for you? Maybe because I think if you don't know something exists, you might not be more willing to imagine it. But if you you could probably find a porn for basically anything you want on the internet. And so someone could very well watch that stuff and decide for them that it's not for them, which I think a lot of people do and i also think again for me the issue is not necessarily that it exists or that people have those inclinations i mean like do i think that there is something telling about our culture that men want to see that sure but i also think that men used to beat their wives more often and that was socially acceptable like men have always had violent urges towards women even ones that they're sexual or romantic with so like yes i think perhaps it's putting that idea in people's heads but i think that it's not like we're in any more of like a misogynistic culture now than we have been in human history and i think that to simply blame the porn for bringing those urges out of people kind of negates the fact that those urges existed in the first place and that's why that porn exists yeah and i just really do think that making it something that people feel more comfortable talking about allows people to pick partners whose needs align with their own and allow for this type of stuff to be made in safe and ethical ways yeah i definitely think saying that porn invented violent urgence is like a crazy concept i do blaming sasha gray like no, yeah, I don't think we should blame Sasha Gray at all. I think she has contributed to the mainstreaming of it. The porn she was in has become the standard. Like, it has become more of a standard. Like, even you watching those clips of her getting double penned, you were like, this isn't that crazy. And it's like, I think maybe in the 80s, that would have been a bit crazier of porn. That would have been hardcore. Like, the and part of the harder and harder hypothesis is that now what used to be considered hardcore is softcore. And now hardcore is what Sasha Gray is a part of. I think that there's something to be said for desensitization. Like, Mm -hmm. I think availability and someone consuming just a lot of porn maybe might push them towards seeking things that are able to get them off because they're desensitized to the regular porn they're watching. I don't know if that's true because I haven't read any statistics about it. It's really hard, I'm sure, to find statistics about porn because people don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, there are many, there are many, many studies about porn. Like, I, there are, there's probably a study out there. But about something it. that, like, actually accurately reflects. The, the general populace is hard to reflect. Um, I think, like, if we were to look at Pornhub's analytics, that would be the most telling example. Right. I do think that, like, this idea of porn needing to remain on the cutting edge, like, can at least be applied to Sasha's success. Like, the way she got famous was literally through legend that she had asked someone to commit violence on her right so she was kind of pushing some sort of boundary that hadn't been pushed before and then that's how she got famous because she was she was cutting edge right so i think that does kind of support the harder and harder hypothesis there's a study that they did at mcgill back in 2018 about whether violent integrating porn had become more prevalent over the internet and they essentially conclude that the demand for violent porn has actually decreased over time but i will say that they don't make any argument about the supply. Like, Mm. it could still be being made at the same rates or more. 
They also say that male viewers, quote, much preferred it when the female performers were notably involved in the sex rather than merely serving the interests of the male performers and concluded that the majority of videos they sampled, quote, depicted women who were not merely passive and compliant, but rather sought sex quite enthusiastically and made clear efforts to demonstrate that they desired the act and were deriving pleasure from it. But like, they're saying that in opposition to like violent porn. I wonder what they would have to say about a female performer who's engaged in aggressive or degrading sex and enjoying it. Like, part of it is that Sasha's porn doesn't really neatly fall into the category of empowering or disempowering because she's a pretty active participant in it, like you had been saying, right? So these male viewers could be watching it and have an easier time doing so because she seems to be experiencing pleasure on screen, right? So like the people answering this might still be watching violent porn, but like there's a bit of a loophole, like it, but the female performer loves it, you know? Sure, but then like, isn't that the best possible circuit scenario totally. for people consuming it? It's like, I only feel comfortable doing so when I know that the person seems like they're enjoying themselves and yeah. it's a mutually beneficial experience. Maybe that is how you can make kink safe on screen. Yeah, it, well, exactly. I just... I would never want to deny women who get enjoyment out of that experience their right to do so. And I think it is good for them to be able to kind of express that openly and know that like there are men that are happy that they're happy. Yeah, totally. Exactly. You know, I mean, also the most kind of popular book series of the mid 2010s is fucking Fifty Shades of Grey. Which Sasha Grey has also been attributed to helping bring into the mainstream. She's also cited as one of the kind of instigators of... And it, BDSM I mean, like, entering through that channel. Who who is the driving audience for Fifty Shades of Grey? Not men, but like women. Stereotypically, suburban housewives. Totally, you know? totally. Sasha Grey represents this like overlapping of kink and feminism in porn, and mm. people really don't know what to do with that. Like, it's a very strange convergence. Well, feminists have been arguing about porn for as long as the two things have coexisted. Yes, that is true. So she, her even representing feminism in porn is already crazy, let alone kinky porn. Yeah. Like, Andrea Dworkin said porn is rape. All porn. Yeah. So but you can imagine what it, she would think about think all heterosexual sex is rape? Yeah. Like, listen, Andrea Dworkin had a very shitty, rough life. So I give her a lot of leeway. <laughs> like, she, she felt her feelings for specific reasons. The thing is, though, Sasha talks a lot about how porn is a safe space to explore her kinks, right? In the Tyra interview, she says, There's a big market for the young girl type fetish. Especially when you're my age, you get cast in those type of roles. And I believe if it's going to be done, it should be done and be shown as role play. And in the Vice one, she says, I kind of had this very male-driven mentality, like, I don't want to love a boy to have sex with him, but at the same time, I was was so conflicted internally, like, I didn't know, like, how do I go about doing that and just feel safe and feel like I'm in control? So, for me, getting in the business was a way to continue exploring those things safely, but then also, I kind of just had this awakening and I, I... I started to really understand the sexual revolution that I I so idealized. And this leads me to my next point. Hmm. So 
Sasha did a lot of research before she joined the industry. She, like, studied popular sex positions (laughs) and, like, how to perform your expressions and stuff. Like, she really... She's a a freaking nerd. Yeah, yeah. And to do this, she also looked into which people to get in with, like, how to get her foot in the door. And it's pretty well known now that Sasha got into the business by sending an email to this porn agent named Mark Spiegler, which said, I am determined and ready to be a commodity that fulfills everyone's fantasies. She sent this to him when she just turned 18. That is wild. (laughs) And also which stated that she had ambitions to, quote, be her own product. Crazy industrious stuff for, like, an 18-year-old. So I guess to start off, like, I just, I want to ask you what dilemma you think Sasha Gray, like, having started out at this barely legal age and, like, saying that she wanted to join the business at age 16. (laughs) Like, what do you think that poses to this general sentiment today that, like, any woman who is 18 cannot consent? Because this is tough. (laughs) Well, okay, so it's a complicated thing because what I immediately was thinking about is... Kellyanne Conway's daughter, who, like, just turned 18, is, I guess, working with, like, Playboy's attempts at, like, an OnlyFans competitor. And I don't know if anyone was following what was going on with Claudia Conway, like, two, three, four years ago or whatever, where she clearly had, like, a troubled relationship with her mom and, like, going through a lot of stuff, kind of publicly, kind of concerning. Also, like, 15 and, like... She, like, ran away from home. Ran away from home and then was on, like, audition for American Idol. I don't know. It was just, like, a whole thing. And now, oh, conveniently, Playboy has kind of scooped her up and she's really, like, this is empowering for me. People sexualize me as a teenager or talked about stuff like that as a teenager. And now that I'm of age, I can reclaim that. And to me, it just, I don't know, it, like, made me feel maybe, like, people kind of for not forced her to do it, but, like, forced her into a corner or, like, she is kind of regurgitating certain sentiments about... Or she just thinks this now and might change that opinion later. Like, I don't I don't yeah. know if she was necessarily coerced. I'm sure no, someone I'm would be she was... so happy if she went to Playboy and said, I want to do this. I am not saying she's coerced, but I think that some of the language she was using in talking about her decision felt like this convenient talking points of it is empowering for this girl who felt kind of exploited as a minor to now be working with Playboy, a company that exploits women and is very misogynist well i think if you have these interests as a young girl there's always going to be some industry full of men waiting with open arms to to get you right when you're 18 like i think she can genuinely have those interests i think where i draw the line with people is when they say girls that age cannot want that they're incapable of it i think sasha gray i think claudia conway maybe even Denise Richards' daughter, who was also 18 and doing OnlyFans. I think those girls are capable of wanting to do this. Yeah. I just think the industries that are sitting there with open arms waiting for them are the things that we should be criticizing. I just think the industries are a little too happy to receive them. I think it is gross that the like the most popular category on Pornhub, I swear the statistics come out and it's like, of course, it's like barely legal. Barely legal. Well, which is the category that Sasha Gray was a part of. Because she her was entire barely career. legal and it's like... Yeah. That's, but she'd also be barely legal probably in a few years because she's just skinny and small. Like, right, yeah. of course. But it's like, that's not necessarily her going, I want to fulfill this category so much as like, that is where you would put her into. Well, yeah. And she's talked about being in that typecast and what she makes, like on the tire show, she, what she's going to make of that, which is that she's going to make sure that it, it's seen like role play. Like she's going to really act out that she's yeah. young. But that's Sasha Gray. <laughs> that's Sasha Gray. And that is a more of a conversation we need to have a, as a culture because 
really it plays into just our overall fetishizing of youth and like all of that stuff beyond just sex and porn by law like an 18 year old can choose to do whatever they want and if they're informed like Sasha Gray sounds like she was very informed and well researched not every 18 year old is but ultimately feels weird and patronizing also to turn to an 18 year old girl and be like you can't make the decision you want to make because if someone tried to tell me at 18 what decision to make with my body I'd be like fuck you yeah I'd be like fuck you I'm gonna go do something even crazier yeah exactly so I don't know it's like as as a slightly older woman than that do it does it make me uncomfortable of course because i see them as younger yeah i don't know i think it's it's it speaks more about what we as a culture want than than yeah. those girls and i think sasha gray poses an interesting quandary because she did want it and she has never regretted it and it's fascinating and um, i'm happy that she's never regretted it like yeah. she made if she is happy with her choices and got fulfillment out of it that's good as much as tyra banks tried to tell her she would I think she is interesting in terms of agency. Like, I think she poses a really interesting question about agency. Because, like, also, when it comes to, like, the actual filmmaking, Sasha looks at and, like, talks to the camera a lot in her films. Watching all of these films, um, it really made me think about how infrequently men in heterosexual porn look at the camera or talk to it. And I kind of wonder if this is a one way that, like, women in porn can kind of subvert this idea of agency, especially in kinky porn. And I think mm. Sasha almost tapped into that. Okay, this is interesting because I didn't bring this up because um, it just didn't really f- fit into my overall kind of conversation. But when researching the Pam and Tommy thing, multiple articles about it from like academics um, and like film critics pointed out how subversive it was, especially for the time in the moments where Pam is holding the camera and putting it on Tommy Whoa. and how like it really was a crazy thing to see for them especially within the genre that tape was being sort of aligned with like yeah. to see a woman kind of amatory on a guy was very different and I think yeah. I think that's an, a question about also who the viewer is right because the viewer of that sex tape initially was supposed to be Pam and Tommy so naturally you would want to see Tommy's face on screen because he's part of this process whereas porn is so yeah well yeah and this for the male viewer they're they're also she's also filming Tommy while he's fishing right like they're filming each other doing stuff because this is just their life no that's really interesting like kind of a mutual exchange of the gaze almost and it's like while it was kind of like dubious to be consuming the tape like there were women who like got something out of seeing that role reversal yeah that's really interesting and you know going back to the idea that she's doing all this, you know, not for the pleasure of her co-star, but for the viewer, like she said. There's this great academic article about Sasha by Rebecca Saunders for the Porn Studies Journal, where she says that there is, quote, reassuring coincidence, which the female performer's gaze at the camera is supposed to produce, between what appears on screen and what characters see and feel. Gray, however, uses her gaze outwards to open up a critical and reflexive gap between the viewer's expectations and her performance. Like, she has this, like, penetrating... It takes you off guard, and that's the film I really wanted to show you, but I couldn't find it. But there's one where she's getting gangbanged, and she, by some guys, <laughs> some guys. Anyways, and she's turned upside down. She's getting doggied, and she's turned upside down on the couch. Her face is smushed into the couch, but she looks up all of a sudden, like, she cocks her head up and looks at the camera and, like, gleefully kind of smirks at it. And it's it's kind of awesome. Like, I don't know. I just think there's something interesting that she's doing with that, which does make me think it's a little bit, like, performance art, you know? Well, if we're thinking about gaze theory, too. Well, yeah, it's this push and pull in power between, like, your look- Sasha and the guy fucking her and the viewer. Like, it's this constant kind of... Porn is filmed to 
you know, appeal to the male gaze, like in a, just like a literal technical sense. And totally, you're obstructing that gaze by acknowledging its existence by looking right back at it. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. Thanks, Laura Mulvey. Thanks, Laura Mulvey. (laughs) In the article, Saunders describes Sasha as a sexual entrepreneur of post-feminist culture. I was wondering what you thought about this. Like, do you think there's something very post-feminist about this idea of wanting it or like being down for whatever? Well, there's something post-feminist about the capitalism involved, right? Like she literally said, I want to make myself a product. We came up in like an interesting time for feminism where I think that those values of like women wanting sex and it being empowering for women to do whatever were kind of big testaments to the sex positivity movement. So in the feminism that we kind of came up in, that kind of squares. But I do think because what this is like 2007 to 2010, you said, that's kind of coming a little bit before then. And I think sort of is placed within this very misogynistic post-feminist hellscape that is the 2000s. So I think you could see her as being a pioneer of the kind of like feminism that we would later see in the early 2010s, but also a product of the era she's placed in. She's almost like a bridge. I do think there's something post-feminist, yes, about just having money involved with it and it being like, how can I maximize this for profit? Yeah, totally, totally. And like having it all in that sense. A but... businesswoman mindset kind of vibes. But uh, yeah, I do think that like that entire era that she's a part of, I mean, even like Vice is something that's, there was a lot of gross misogynist stuff there, but then it also was also- Very progressive. Yeah. Well, Gavin McInnes is like the most confusing man on earth and him creating Vice is just the strangest, funniest phenomenon. But like, he just absolutely represents this misogynistic hipster, which we're also going to talk about this season. Yeah. Well, Um, she definitely just like is in the stew of things that created the beginnings of fourth wave feminism. Interesting. Okay. Because- the thing for me that makes her so post-feminist, you know, like post-feminism was this era in like the 90s, early 2000s, where it was kind of like feminism is done, women have caught up, and now look at women kind of being their best capitalist selves, like that, which is what you're saying about this capitalistic thing. Which, I mean, also is sort of was still a pretty big thing in early fourth wave feminism. Totally, anyway, totally. It still sort of is. Totally. So, yeah. But like the main thing for me is that It feels like when Sasha defended the porn industry whenever she did that or, you know, talked about her experiences back then, it was in these like very individualistic terms. Like when she was on Tyra, she said, I feel empowered by what I do because I have a purpose. I represent myself. I don't represent the porn industry. I have outside interests and outside goals. And in this mini Vice doc on her, she's talking to like her artist friend and he asks her if anyone's ever said something fucked up to her on set. And she says, not to my face. Like, I just think she's just happened to have a very particularly positive experience in porn Mm -hmm. that definitely isn't representative of the larger experience of women in the industry. Saunders describes it as a, quote, deeply problematic universalization of Grey's highly specific sexual proclivities. Like, I just think a huge aspect of her legacy is that she's helped, you know, she has helped to popularize pretty violent porn just in the way that she became mainstream. This is the kind of porn she's in. And while she's someone who happens to be, you know, into BDSM and specifically asks for that, the popularization may have impacted performers who don't necessarily like that. That's a good point. Yeah. And like she said in this 2014 interview, 
In the past, pre-internet porn stars were marketed, packaged, and sold through major companies. They were just a face, a toy. But now the internet has given girls in porn a tool. Girls aren't limited to signing a contract with a major company in the industry. So now you have independent women who form their own businesses online. They Right, she's predicting something. Gig economy. Gig, kind of gig economy. And they can do whatever they want and be as outspoken as they want. And like, later in the season, we'll obviously get into why this is, you know, this is partly true. Like, women do have more agency in some ways on some platforms. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of a double-edged sword, like, as we know from that whole Pornhub controversy. Like, women also lost a lot of agency in the internet era when it came to porn. I mean, this is such a millennial mindset. Like, it's, it's so in line with the philosophies of that uh, she's like i'm a free freelance porn well basically and she's like well if it works for me then it must work for all women also the kind of idea of even if she's not putting other women down her being placed in opposition to the typical porn performer it's like well then she gets to be the exception of the rule and yeah, yeah it's not really bringing anyone along with her she is different she is agency but also conveniently that's part of the persona that she herself has been able to pull off as yeah. like, her character yeah and kept her safe almost yeah where it's like not every woman is as smart as she seems to no. be right or as business-minded and they shouldn't have to be in order to have like a beneficial experience in the industry they've chosen yeah. to work in so yeah i know i agree like i wasn't thinking about it in those terms again i don't think that the blame should be necessarily squarely put on sasha Gray no not for, at all. like the fact that the porn industry hasn't always or continues to be an exploitative workplace. In and I don't think situations. it's her job to right all the wrongs either. Like, I don't think it's her job to be like, come on, girls, and like but be the Pied Piper of you know, porn. Being a celebrity <laughs> porn star and being like, I love this, all this stuff being done to me, and I've had a great experience exactly. and I've made a lot of money off of it. She's like not the best ambassador for women in porn. I think it's like there are two sides to it because she isn't the best ambassador in those terms. I do think she really contributed to destigmatizing porn in mainstream culture, mm-hmm. destigmatizing sex work. Like, I really admire her and like, I think she's really awesome. And her going on Tyra Banks at the age of freaking 18 and basically standing up to Tyra Banks and being like, no, I like my job. I like what I do. I chose this and I like sex work. Like, she did contribute to with this era we're in now where we're like, sex work is work. We talk yeah. about it in these terms. She really contributed. But then again, on the other hand, yeah, I don't think she did the best job of representing the bad parts of the industry. And it is kind of interesting when you think about it like that, because Sasha's also become a huge inspiration for a lot of women. You know, I just said I admire her. And she became a huge inspiration for younger women, especially. She says that she, you know, she used to get tons of fan mail from teenage girls saying that, that she had had a really positive impact on them and that they want to join porn now. And She said that she described her legacy quote as inspiring young people to take chances and understand their own worth, which like true, she does understand her own worth. She did take chances. Those are the philosophies she lives by. Yeah, but she's a little bit one in a million. I would say so, but I can also like the same way little girls, or not little girls, but like teenage girls loved Effie Stoneham. Like I can see her being the exact type of person that like the girls of the Tumblr generation would look up to in some yeah. way and especially well, she's if you cool. know that the cool boys like her yes well that's partly why I was intrigued by her and like looked into her at that age because I was curious to know what the boys were into like yeah you know. Saunders also has this quote where she says one wonders where these teenage girls have the opportunity to watch her films or is it because she's a part of the shopping mall culture or the myspace culture or that she oozes vibes of female self-sufficiency in a spectacle of sexual aloofness And I think for me, that's kind of the post-feminist aspect. Like, she's like the self-sufficient businesswoman in porn, you know, an individual through and through. In her videos, is is she showing herself to enjoy things that are 
beneficial to her or is it like her kind of character gets enjoyment solely out of men getting their enjoyment no so she and we'll get into this like she she isn't always just in porn with men for one like she's in a lot of porn with women and she in both scenarios like she not to be binary just that's how it worked out but she's a switch like she'll sometimes be submissive and sometimes she's dominant and like she's on top of the man kind of like barking at him and whatever and stuff same with the women like I think it's a mixture of the two. Again, the only thing she said she won't do are children and animals. Like, she, she has done kind of everything. Right. Um, it's just a lot of the porn that's available to the, what we watched is her getting I'm being just a sub. curious about, you know, if she was the most popular porn star of, like, that generation. Thinking about girls taking inspiration from her or, like, looking up to her in some way. If in those videos she's also showing women, like, ways that, they can like enjoy these situations beyond just like the performance art Mm. for men and like performing pleasure at things that men are doing yeah i think that's interesting i mean and it could very well not be the case but i I think it'd be worth examining we're about to get into one film she was in that i think might make you intrigued okay um so i think she just in general poses like a complicated question about agency right because like on the one hand Her experience is extremely specific to her and may have, you know, contributed to popularizing or trickling down at least some kind of harmful practices in the industry. But on the other hand, it makes you wonder if, you know, if more women were able to enter the industry with that sensibility, with that entrepreneurial vibe in the way that she did, maybe it would reinforce agency on their end. I just think that there's no easy way to categorize her. And I think that that would be putting too much meaning yeah. on her as a person because ultimately, like, she's not going to encompass any singular thing. Yeah. Part of it is probably the think pieces that were written about her, which, which <laughs> always. <laughs> I mean, but I think it would be misguided to try and say she was a net positive or net negative for anybody there's an LA Weekly profile of Sasha from 2016, which references the mainstreaming of Sasha's brand as the Sasha Grayization of modern sexuality. So kind of did exactly what you said we shouldn't do. And it credits her with like influencing books about like hipster porn, which there were a lot that came out around then. And as I had said, the emergence of BDSM books like Fifty Shades of Grey into dominant society. And it really made me think a lot about how much of an influence she's had, not only on porn, but how our society approaches sex. Again, like in that interview clip earlier, she mentions a sexual revolution and like the fact that getting into the industry helped her understand that revolution better. And you and I have talked about this a bit on the podcast. Um, I also have a video about Spring Breakers where I talk about this. But, you know, we've talked about how we feel like we took part in a sexual revolution that happened in our late teens and early 20s and the ways that it kind of both helped and harmed relationships with sex. I just want to ask, how do you think Sasha kind of represents that duality of like the sexual revolution indie sleaze kind of era? Again, like I was saying, I think she toes that line that a lot of the content from that era that like we consumed, I mean, at very formative ages, really do walk that line. I mean, Spring Breakers, for example, one of my favorite movies, saw it at 15, immediately was obsessed with it. And then rewatching it as an adult, I was like, oh, I love it, but for different reasons, you know? And I think you could make really compelling arguments that it is really sexist and you could make compelling arguments that it is critical. And I think it gets away by being in this gray area, but I also think it's indicative of its time, which is kind of confused about where it stands about women and sex, really. Well, it's like sex became destigmatized and 
women's sexual agency became a much bigger deal. Like it was uh, the big thing when we were kind of coming of age was hookup culture and women being able to go out and seek it basically. And so I felt like me and a lot of my friends were like, okay, let's have a list and what can we knock off our list? And I'm going to go out and I'm going to go get it and I'm going to knock it off my list. And that had consequences because again, the indie sleaze era, like you had been alluding to earlier, was kind of co-opted by these like male figures like Terry Richardson, Gavin McKinnis, like these people. I wouldn't even say co-opted. I think it was like kind of ran by these men. It was ran by them and encouraged by them. But no, but there was, I think, a sexual revolution happening with women that we shouldn't discount. Like no. I do think that this was, the, this provided the foundations for me too. It provided the foundations for women to be able to talk about sex, you know, and women just being a part of the conversation at least. But then these men saw that and, and kind of used it to their benefit. <laughs> I just think this is such a great, area of culture where it's like men really saw kind of account for how many times we say great i know i know but i really like i'm realizing now like that's how i would define this time and that just there were men that seized on certain ideologies coming about and like women becoming more empowered i think shows like girls coming out which was a little bit later but this kind of like new idea of millennial feminism kind of perfectly being entwined into this lazy hipster culture of the 2000s and going into 2010s and i think i've lost my train of thought but it's like I, the genesis of alt misogyny <laughs> yeah basically but then i mean also like i think alternative men have always been misogynistic look at the beatniks i mean yeah they were around in the 40s <laughs> <laughs> i just like mean, to be fair to them <laughs> <laughs> but sasha gray fits into that because she kind of embodies both sides i think that you're probably women who will tell you that they saw sasha gray and that she inspired something in them she made them feel empowered she made them feel a certain way sasha gray would tell you that about herself probably but i also think that there are a lot of men who probably saw sasha gray and maybe got the wrong messages not the messages that she was thinking from her videos and that has shaped the way that they look at women and i think it's kind of a time of like women political and like philosophical ideas having to sort of be mediated through male dominated industries and men taking advantage of that and sort of getting to she made Mark Spiegler rich, rich, rich. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's no doubt that there's a feminist element to Sasha's legacy. Like, she's someone who challenges the normative understanding of female desire and pleasure, right? Like, mm-hmm. if dominant society thinks that women derive pleasure from, like, emotionality and softness, Sasha introduced a form of desire that's, like, literally the opposite. And while critics, you know, would probably argue that she's, like, only trying to play into male desires, I kind of do see that as a bit gender essentializing. Some women do genuinely, as we've discussed, want rough, degrading sex. Saunders says that Sasha's, quote, celebration of the disgusting rejects the notion that certain acts, such as coming on another person's face, express an inherently male desire and therefore inevitably produce a female victim. There's this film that she's in called Squirt Gangbang, which is exactly how it sounds. And I wanted to read Saunders' description of it because I was like crying when I read it. It's so funny. And that's the blue movie that Kubrick always drummed directing. <laughs> Squirt Gangbang, Stanley Kubrick. So Saunders describes it like this. Steadily, it's so funny to read from an academic voice. Steadily, more women arrive until Grey is surrounded by seven women who lounge and squat on sofas in a circle around her, masturbating with dildos and sporadically squirting into Grey's face, often with such force that her false eyelashes are blasted across her cheeks. Mon dieu. (laughs) 
Oh god, the power of a squirt. That's crazy. Physics. No, the physics are, is science. <laughs> just, science is behind. But yeah, so it's like she's in these films that are completely subverting any conception of female desire, female sexuality. Like, not one man on screen in that movie. You know, and I think that that is probably a feminist movie, like a bunch of women squirting on another woman. It's not a typical understanding of any sort of gendered role playing, like anything. I do think it's a representation of female sexuality that's like on the fringes and generally isn't shown or understood in the mainstream. And she does offer, you know, a pretty interesting story for someone getting into the industry on their own terms and like genuinely enjoying it and being able to find success after it without having their Mm -hmm. reputation quote unquote tarnished. While she is an anomaly, she does kind of paint a nice picture for what the future of porn could look like. But on the other hand, like her conflating of feminism with female subjectification and like wanting it may have contributed to parts of the sexual revolution that did have consequences for women a bit, you know, may have obviously indirectly no blame placed on her. Well, I also think that women were already being subjugated. It's just, it's not like she invented that. It's just that there became more ways to intellectualize it in a way that made people make it seem cool and then and then it genuinely include the fringe female desire part of it, you know? Also, as much as she's taunting the men that fuck her and, like, appearing in control of what she wants, like, it's also hard to take that as sincere or at least, like, the performance of full control when, like, she's getting fucked by these guys who can physically overpower her. Like, they're huge. Like, a lot of the time she'll be screaming at them and they'll just, like, cover her mouth so you don't get to hear what she's saying because it's rough sex. Mm -hmm. And it's great that she's enjoying it and whatnot, but it doesn't mean that, like, her co-stars have the same views as her, you know? And it doesn't necessarily change how the viewer perceives her, like you're saying. And that doesn't mean that the porn industry is thinking about these philosophies every time they make a video, like... So I just think it's, like, feminism with a bit of a low ceiling, if that makes sense. Like, it, it can only go so far, at least at the time that it was being made. I mean, God, the debates around feminism and female subjectivity and porn are like a never-ending dialogue that really like it's so hard to come to a clear conclusion about like yeah. it feels like, like these are questions beyond any kind of resolution really it's a gray area if- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and her name is sasha gray you figured it out it's a sasha gray area <laughs> i do think like while sasha's legacy can be put under scrutiny i do think she poses a lot of difficult questions about the consumption of porn and like how we perceive women. We recently had a chat about, you know, how a lot of our friends watch exclusively like feminist porn. And I think not liking it, like there's just a lot of shame wrapped up in being a woman who doesn't like that kind of thing. But like, I don't know, just on some closing thoughts, do you think this kind of plays into an exhaustion with like as women having to constantly like evaluate whether or not you were like socially conditioned to like porn that isn't feminist porn well i mean i we were socially conditioned to put makeup on in the morning before we leave the house like there's a lot of things that we which as- is actually really feminist hannah that we do that now <laughs> like there's so many things that we as women were socially conditioned to do or like that we do and may like and i'm not gonna stop wearing makeup i know that surely there is something anti-feminist about me giving money to Sephora to buy certain things, but guess what? I also am a person that lives in this world and I can't, nobody can escape the social circumstances through which they have lived their lives and, and how that has shaped you. And I don't think that we can deny that as like a facet of ourselves. The reason anybody of any kind of social identity does anything is 
in some part the result of something else and I don't think that you as a woman bear the responsibility of all of feminism to only like consume certain things over others yeah and I don't know researching this has just made me think a lot about like what porn is because I think porn is different from makeup inherently it's just different from many everything it's different from everything it's so hard to evaluate on like any basis because it's not a film that's just made to be watched like it's a piece of filmmaking that's paired with an action which is like sexual gratification you watch this to be sexually gratified in a lot of ways i just think <laughs> getting your nut is kind of this kind of like expedient thing that sometimes like bypasses feminism sexual preference and desire might not always line up with ideology it's the idea of like your mind being feminist but your clit not being a feminist like sometimes it's just like people just get their nuts it doesn't really their sexual preferences don't line up with who they are it's like a nerd being into being a dom you know like sometimes it's just the complete opposite of that and like i don't know i just sometimes wonder if sasha made it okay like made us able to like redeem our, our clits in the craziest <laughs> sentence but it's like she makes it like okay to be a woman who like doesn't want something that's like so essentializing about that you know what i mean yeah well, or just be a bit bad and like not not agree well i also think like if you were to consume her content i'm sure you could do so with a kind of a clear conscience and just knowing that she's doing this and she chose as someone who chose to do it and i think it's like you should be able to watch whatever kinds of things that you want i think like anybody is yeah. like everybody i think it's just a matter of the ethics of the industry and that's the main thing yeah it's the main question right this is going to be something that kind of comes up in my next episode because we're going to be talking about cyber sex and wow. basically about how that kind of plays into the self, the body, and the social circumstances that you're in and how cyber sex might be something that allows you to kind of shed two of those things Whoa. and just be focused on the self, which is sort of what you're describing here. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. It's just, again, like we were saying, such a weird private act that, that yeah. has this kind of final result. <laughs> so it's like expedient. It's like, yeah. you know, no one's thinking. They're just feeling. No thoughts, just vibes, I guess. We can't all be philosophers. We can't all be philosophers. We can't all be Zizek reading 18-year-olds. Rehash is hosted by Hannah Rain and me, Maia. It's produced and edited by me, and the intro and outro song is produced by our talented friend, Ian Mills. Thanks for listening. 